up, Greg? Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Juicing the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I'm the other, Corwin Heller. Once again, joined by Mr. Corwin, middle name Heller. The fuck is your middle name? Pierce. Pierce? Yeah. I definitely didn't know that. This is definitely my first time asking you that. I would have remembered that. Okay. CPH. <laughs> Mr. CPH. Anyway, not that it matters. We're here to talk today about uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Promising Young Woman. Corbin, do you have any place you'd like to start today? Uh, I guess not. Not really. All right. Uh, let's start with Promising Young Woman because I watched it the most recently. Same. The most recent. Whatever. Um, all right. So Promising Woman, I guess, technically came out last year. It uh, was written and directed by Emerald Fennel. Uh, it stars Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, and Allison Brie. Uh, I'm not sure. E- I don't have an estimated budget, but I have a cumulative worldwide gross. It feels like it never goes that way. Uh, budget is somewhere between 5 and $16.9 million, which is a hilarious gap. Um, especially since its box office purportedly is $11.5 million. Um, obviously, it's going to be smaller because of streaming even though this one is not on a streaming service the amount you have to pay for it six dollars is significantly less than the amount you'd have to pay to go see it if you went as a two-person group which would be like 25 dollars. so that still is going to ultimately affect the box office affect the box office but anywho um so that's that's that um uh its tagline is revenge never looked so promising yeah. 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 Uh, I don't think it looked all that promising. Yeah. Uh, we're watching this, or we watched past tense this, because it is nominated for five Oscars. It is nominated for Best wow. Motion Picture of the Year for Ben Browning, Ashley Fox, Emerald Fennel, and Josie McNamara. It's nominated for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role for Carrie Mulligan, Best Achievement in Directing for Emerald Fennel. Best Original Screenplay for Emerald Fennel, and Best Achievement in Film Editing for Federic Thoraval. Um, the movie is about a young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path. Um, I don't know, Corwin, do you want, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Um, I guess I'll start. Sure. Uh, I honestly thought this was a single nomination. Um, honestly kind of forgot that it was so extensive and that was one of the reasons we saved it, uh, so long. Um, this really didn't move the needle much for me. I mean, I, I just, I thought Carrie Mulligan did a good job. I thought the storyline was interesting enough and the premise was worthy of, you know, a film adaptation was this adapted or is no this was original um i just don't think it was really perfectly executed i think it just the story itself and how we reached the conclusions that we did just felt unsatisfied i just it's really hard for me to put my finger on the specifics in this film that kind of put me off edge and not even off edge just that didn't sell it for me. 
um you know outside of carrie mulligan it just it, it wasn't it it just didn't have that x factor didn't have that oomph and, and i just i i don't agree with with all five of these you know best picture best director i just i don't see it yeah man yeah i i actively disliked this movie i thought this was bad um tonally it never really connected i'm not saying connected with me i mean like i couldn't figure out what sense this movie was trying to give off because at some points right it feels like it wants to be kind of a grounded and grittier movie and then at other points it feels like it wants to be a stylized kind of like high-minded concept with like the art direction and everything and ultimately it just felt so flat exactly i thought that the set design which i never noticed was awful um i thought that the score which i also usually don't notice was missing mia this movie is weirdly quiet um the, even when it comes to background noise there's like there's like no white noise or or b noise there's nothing it's so odd i thought that the um coffee shop was awful i, I like and mm. that thing kept sticking out of my mind about how it just didn't look like a coffee shop and how so clearly it looked like it was on the soundstage. I've never seen a piece of set look so obviously like it was on a soundstage for a major motion ha- picture like that coffee shop. And how poorly they kind of expressed just this, the spacing of it. Like you yeah. felt like so locked in how everything was either super tight against, you know, Carrie Mulligan or Gail's actors, actress's name. I, I don't remember. Oh, it was super tight thank you it was just super tight both sides of the counter and it's just like they planted the camera on the counter and would just pan it left and right depending on whose side they were talking or the the cinematography for this is awful it's not good the way and obviously that's something we always i always talk about at least or always attempt to bring up and it was noticeably not that not that good no and it actively bad it tries Possibly. for a lot of uh, weird, like Dutch angles and elevated or or lowered type of you know perspective shots. It felt like it was very much trying to go for a Hitchcock kind of thing, and the problem with it was it wasn't interesting, and it oftentimes detracted from the view and didn't add intrigue because with Hitchcock films the skewedness of the shot is meant to portray an skewedness in the banality of what seems to be happening or lend itself to cause you to consider what's going on in in a different lens. And this film doesn't ask that of you. And so it's just fucking weird. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, also, sorry, one other thing about the coffee shop, um, the fact that the windows clearly just had lights going through them. Like they didn't even take the time to put a green screen out there for passerbys. It's a coffee shop. Like, the whole point is that it's in a place that gets foot traffic. Why? It, it, it bothered me beyond belief. Um, and then, I don't really get the Carrie Mulligan nomination here. And I don't get it because... I, I, I don't think it's her fault. I'll start with that. Because um, I think she did the most she could do here. But I don't think the role is ultimately well done because of the directing. Because much like the tone is difficult to receive, it's also difficult to tell 
what they wanted Carrie Mulligan to do here. Because at some points, it feels, again, like she's supposed to be a grounded, sympathetic, you know, relatable character. And then at other points, she is literally just Harley Quinn. I wholeheartedly agree with that, of just not really knowing what her character was supposed to be and just having several crazily different tones throughout the film of whether she's supposed to be like this angry, resentful, you know, looking for revenge, you know, woman using like what she knows and what she's capable of doing to make these changes and like positively affect the, you know, the men that she's trying to to make these changes with or just straight up batshit crazy Harley Quinn just trying to cause chaos. And, and, and also, again, it, it goes into the stylized aspect of it with, with the whole Harley Quinn thing. I mean, like, just with the makeup and, and the um, the wig with the stripper scene, it just it just didn't... It just didn't sit well. And I don't mean it in, like, an uncomfortable way. I mean it in, like, it, it didn't land type of way. Mm-hmm. Because what sucks about it is I totally appreciate what this movie's going for. Um, the basic idea behind this film is that um, Carrie Mulligan's character was friends with this girl in college who got raped and the uh, men who raped her faced zero consequences. And so she dropped out of med school. Uh, I believe it's alluded to the friend having killed herself as a result of this. And so she spends her time. And actually, this is a good point I have to ask you about because I don't know what the fuck this movie was trying to do. She spends her time luring men back to their homes under the guise that she is drunk and does not have control of her faculties, you know, can't say no, and then ends up fooling them by being sober the whole time and then doing what? Uh, I think the only time we ever saw it. And she has the... the, the Right. So I think the premise was what we saw with the guy from McLovin, essentially, uh, where she just kind of, thank you, of just like scaring them into not doing that stuff again. And it was wildly unclear from the start what she was doing. And throughout, they gave very little information or insight into what her plans were, what her goals were, what she was doing. It was just, there was such poor pacing and just it was a very poorly planned out movie with when they would provide information that would advance the story when they would provide information that would advance your understanding of you know the characters um mindset and their goals and just all around just like the fact that this was best directing and best original screenplay just blow my mind and you know i I agree with you that like carrie mulligan was she was okay in this. Like she was, I still think I would c- consider it good. She did looking she at looking at the other films here, I don't think she deserved the nomination over, uh, like Tenet or even like Hillbilly Elegy. If you want to, you know, give Glenn Close the uh the nominee there or shit. What was the other one I just saw on this list? Um, Malcolm and Marie. Give it to Zendaya. Give her the nomination. At least she fucking had a, a you know substantial role that despite all the issues with that movie did fine in i don't know i just what a mess 
It, it is. And just, just to get back to this whole book thing, right? Because the idea is that after she does whatever it is she does with these guys, she writes their names or has their names written down, then crosses them out. I forget which one it is, but either way, there's the names and then there's tally marks. And some of them are in black and some of them are in red. And I first took that as being the ones in black. She just, I don't know, didn't kill, I don't know, beat up or scolded or whatever. And the ones in red, she maybe killed because when she's walking away from, um, whatever that first guy's name was, his house, uh, you know, Teddy. Gets, yeah. Teddy from the league. Um, <laughs> she, she has blood on her arm. And which they then the, show is like the donut she's eating, like the glaze, like, Oh, is it glaze? Is it blood? Oh, or jelly? I should saying. say. Yeah. Yeah. Or I thought it was a hot dog with ketchup, but it doesn't matter. Some point being, it was something red. And I would find that movie so much more interesting because what ends up, this movie ends up being is it's a woman who puts her life on hold because of the trauma of knowing somebody who went through this experience and, you know, being so close to it. She lives with her parents. She's in her thirties. Um, she has a day job working as at a at a coffee shop and then a night gig where she stays out till all hours of the morning preying on men. But I don't think it balances those things well. And I think any part of her story is more interesting than the sum. Right. Because the idea that Carrie Mulligan is staying out till like two, three o'clock in the morning, hunting these guys down, and then going back to her parents' house. And then going to work in the morning because they, she still has breakfast with them, it just doesn't make any, just doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't just, and it just doesn't sit well. And if all she's doing is going out and scolding guys, is that a, is that a movie? I think, I think it was mentioned that she does it like once a week. Once a week she goes out and does this, which I can get behind. Like if she's doing this on a Saturday night and then that's like Sunday morning breakfast with her family, uh it's whatever uh that's not something i'll, I'll work myself up over because i don't think it was a major focal point of you know how that all worked itself out and at the end of the day that's not what's doing this movie in that's the Fair. least of its problems what do you think of the idea that the um I, I presume it was the, the woman who, who got raped, Nina. I assume it was her sister. That Carrie Mulligan taught I, five and um, looks every I think it. they were saying it was seven years since it happened and since what we'll say was like middle of like second year of med school. So she would be like 20. So she's supposed to be like 29, 30, I guess something like that. Younger than she is. She didn't um, look 35. She didn't look 30. She looked nothing against Carrie Mulligan. I don't want to have any of this be, you know, taken as a spite against her. They just did not do a good job of de-aging her that the way they do well, with makeup and, and, and everything that... in other films. Right, that's what I was going to say, and it's not even de-aging her. Like, they, they they gave her such... They tried so hard to give a very youthful look that I think it ended up playing against her. Mm. And I think 
because they they really go with a very like pop kind of um I don't want to say preppy that's not the word I'm looking for but like a, a very a very youthful tone with the clothing and the hair that I think it actually worked against just the just the natural age that Carrie Mulligan has in her face I mean when when you are I'm not trying to say Carrie Mulligan is old because she's not old she's 35 but when you try to look younger than you are you will always look older. Absolutely. It is just a fact of life. And I think that's a lot of what happened here. Um, like they tried very hard with the clothing to make her look young instead of just letting her look like a young 35-year-old who can play right. younger. And I, But anyway, not the point. Um, oh, I, lost my tra- <laughs> I lost my entire train of thought. Um, what do you think of the relationship with Bo Burnham in this? I mean, I think Bo Burnham was probably one of the better parts of this movie. And I'll be honest, I did not see that turn coming with his involvement. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like they could have utilized him more and, and have him have a larger impact in the story that would have made it a lot more compelling. Um, but they didn't. And it, it was just kind of a, a meh usage. Well, so my problem with the usage is that I don't give a shit about this relationship. And they just, they only put so much relationship in there so that the turn where you find out that Bo Burnham was at the raping feel more significant to the eyes of Carrie Mulligan. The problem with that is, is I just didn't give a shit about the relationship chewing up that much of the time. And if you need a reason for Carrie Mulligan to go to the bachelor party of, of, of the actual perpetrator and do what she ended up doing, you didn't need the relationship to be a catalyst of that because Carrie Mulligan is clearly established that that's what she would have done anyway. The, the motivation for the character doing that thing already existed. And the idea that she couldn't have gotten information any other way by like lowering one of the bachelor, the, one of the groomsmen back to her, uh, back to his place, the way that she has lured so many men back to their homes to, to scold or, or assault or whatever she was going to do with them. Um, the idea that she couldn't just do that to a groomsman to get the same exact information out of him that, that she got out of Bo Burnham without chewing up so much time on a relationship in a movie that's supposed to be about, I would imagine, feminism is mm-hmm. just so fucking boring and out of place. Because that's the and other thing, is it felt so out of place. And especially since it was very clear how interested he was and how, I don't know about you, if I if I started seeing a girl, you know, with the start where it wasn't the most consistent communication, Okay, you can get over that. They start going on dates, sure. And then you see her like pretending to be pissed drunk going home with a guy in a terrible fedora. Like that's the end of it there. But then he's still got that level of interest and and whatnot. Like she's kind of been shit to him for a huge chunk of this movie. He's into her because he had a crush on her in college. I I don't know. I just I don't think it was executed well either i just think it was something that 
didn't exactly display what they whatever they were trying to dis- display with it and ended up like you said turning into something that nobody really or at least the two of us just didn't care all that much about yeah what did you think about the um faux kidnapping thing that Carrie Mulligan does with the dean's daughter uh fucking wild um I mean, I get the premise she was trying to go after, and by all means, the Dean seemed to have deserved it. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's still kidnapping, I want to say. Yeah, it's like, still that's, is. I don't know. I don't know the exact letter of the law when it comes to kidnapping. That's not something I've ever really had to deal with in my life. But lying to a minor and then taking them somewhere, even under their own will, because it's a lie and you're lying about it, would probably constitute kidnapping i don't fucking know man it's one of those movies where we seem to have this come up often enough where when we just don't care we're not really looking for these kind of things and we just don't care and that's just kind of it like you lose us and then we're kind of lost it's yeah first off you're right and second off the, I was going to make a bigger point out of, out of out of this, and that is that this movie just backs away from want from being hitting the full potential of the extremes that it throws at you. It's the same thing with the guy whose truck she attacks, mm-hmm. who then drives away, which makes no fucking sense. And it, um, it there's nothing even discussed regarding that throughout the rest of the film, right? Also, again, why wouldn't you call the police? Why wouldn't the mom, uh, the dean call the police? Why wouldn't he call? Like, his insurance isn't going to cover that unless he calls the police. Like, you have to file a police report. Anyway, um, this movie should have been more extreme if this is the route it's going to go with the character. Like, actually put the daughter in the position that you told the mother she was going to be in to drive the point home. Or beat the shit out of the guy in the car to really exemplify your frustrations. Like, justify taking the first step with a second step in some way. And it doesn't do it really anywhere. It introduces these concepts. She's luring these guys back to their homes. They mm-hmm. think she's drunk. She's not drunk. And then it's, it's just it. And also, like, this movie takes place in what I imagine is a suburb? How many guys are there to do this to? But anyway, I, it it had a clear idea that I think is an interesting idea for a movie, and then it just I just don't think it did anything with it. Right, um, I very much agree with that sentiment. Where you had a lot you could go off of here, and everything was just kind of taped together with scotch tape and just poorly executed, and it's just a total mess at the end. I and I want to ask you about the ending, and then we can just move on from this. Um, so it ends with, and if you haven't seen it, fucking watch it. You know how this goes. Um, Carrie Mulligan goes to this guy's uh, bachelor party, some rager in a log cabin, which is weird. Um, under the guise that she's a stripper that somebody hired, nobody really questions that. Nobody hired her, but again, no one questions it. She lures him upstairs to his room as she's lured so many men back to their rooms, except this time she's gonna do something physical to him. Whereas, again, it's uncertain. She has all these knives and shit. It, does she have that? Doesn't matter. Um, and she's preparing to 
I thought cut off his dick, but she left out of his shirt and not take down his pants. I think so, her, her intention was trying to carve Nina oh, Fisher right. into his chest. Right. No, you were right. You're right. Sorry, that escaped me. You're right. She was trying to carve her Nina's name into his chest. Um, and then he frees one of his hands that are handcuffed to the uh, bed and kills her by strangling her, or um, suffocating her with a pillow. And then the next morning, the morning of the wedding, um, she had a bunch of pre-scheduled texts and a bunch of contingencies in place in case she got killed or at least went missing. The police show up based on some information she provided to a lawyer that we had met previous in the film and uh, a series of why did she bother scheduling these text text messages that went to Bo Burnham? Um, and the movie ends with the groom to be getting arrested. Um, so what did you think of the ending? Just, it was so Harley Quinn-esque that I just like couldn't get over that premise. Like this is exactly something you'd see out of a, a Batman cartoon with Harley Quinn. Just, it, it wasn't satisfying. I mean, the one groom gets arrested in front of his bride and just kind of has this look of like, oh no, this is it for me on his face as he gets led away. The other guy who helped burn her body in a pyre just runs off into the woods. Bo Burnham's just kind of left there standing like, huh, so this is how it ended. Uh, fucking, I don't know, man. It It did nothing to move the needle and that's not a good thing. Yeah, it was clearly going, it tried so hard for this, like, justice porn ending where you get this big sense of satisfaction, except for the fact that it's like, Bo Burnham gets this text, which I'm also not certain scheduled text messages even get sent if the phone's off, um, but anyway, he gets this text saying, you didn't think that'd be the end of it, and then the next message is basically like, now this is the end of it, which is like, why bother with the first one? It's like, it tries so hard. and then. At the end of it, it's really like Bo Burnham's going to walk away from that wedding unaffected. I mean, emotionally, I, he might be feeling something, but it's not like he's getting arrested. So yeah. why have messages even go to him? I um, mean, sure, he's she sent the tape out, so like they say his name in the video. Maybe that gets brought back to him somehow. I again, as much as I I enjoy understanding the law and and learning these things. Man, I don't even know how the fuck that works. I don't know what the statute of limitations are for for watching something like that or filming something like that. Or, or There's so many details involved where it's not like there's any exposition where it's like, oh, what you did, Ryan, was, you know, you're going to go to prison for this and this because you did that. It's like, okay, he might be fine. He might be going to jail for a long time. No one said anything. Nobody has any idea. So at the end of the movie, we're just kind of left. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And that brings me to the actual revenge justice porn aspect of it with the groom, which is I don't really get what Carrie Mulligan's plan was here. I don't get how this is revenge. Like, so she, she carves like the guy is name going... into his chest and then leaves? Is, was that her plan? What is right. that accomplishing for you? How is that avenging your friend in any way? And not only that, like, okay, you're turning the tape in, you're getting that to the press, you're going to get these guys arrested, they're going to face their justice. If you carve a woman's name into his chest, you're now also going to prison. 
And it's not like he's going to, unless you kill him, which I don't know if that was her intention or not, he's going to know who you are. You're going to go to prison now. What, it, like, yeah, you're right. I, what is your goal here? Because what are your intention? What is your goal? This isn't really going to help too much bring light to the fact that he's a sexual assault doer, purveyor. It's going to bring light to the fact that he's now either an accessory or the full-on committer of a murder. Um, and that's going to fully overshadow the fact that he's a committer of sexual assault. I would have, in my mind, what I thought she was going to do was record him saying that he did it. Right. And then have that go up to the cloud which would be very easy to accomplish. Cloud recording's a very available thing. And then whether she dies or not, that can be sent to whomever. Mm -hmm. And then he'll get arrested for that, which would make sense on the whole closing the loop of he sexually assaulted my, my, my friend. She killed herself as a result of it. She hasn't seen justice. And now she's he's seeing justice for a whole different action. And I'm not sure that really ties super cleanly to the original motive of what Carrie Mulligan's doing. Whereas connecting it in a more meaningful way to the, you know, original sin of the plot of this film, I think would make more, not just plot sense, but emotional sense. And it just goes for the bigger, weirder and flashier thing that I just, I just, I, again, just did not land for me. And by all means, because, you know, she turned the tape into that, that lawyer who's going to get it to the news, like he could still be brought down on the charges for what is seen on video. It's just, I feel like now you have brought it to the attention where even if this all goes perfectly to plan and, you know, you carve the name into his chest, like, okay, now you're just going to have some people, you know, basically feel sympathetic for him because it's like all right he's having his bachelor party some woman just kind of shows up you know handcuffs you to a bed and carves with an a scalpel into your chest yeah that's gonna dig some sympathetic emotions out of a jury that's only gonna make it easier for him to get acquitted i just uh, i don't think this should get a best original screenplay nomination I don't think it's a well thought out story, all things considered. No. There's a lot of plot holes. And one of the other problems I have with it, so this this film is called Promising Young Woman. That is a reference to the Brock Turner trial. Brock Turner, who was um a swimmer at oh, I actually haven't looked this man up in forever. I want to say it was Stanford. Do you remember? Probably yeah, one of those kind of schools. Um not who, quite Ivy League, but but prestigious. Right. Um who who sexually assaulted woman and then basically just kind of got away with it. Um, and the judge in that case said uh, that this was a promising young man and didn't want this to like ruin his whole life or some stupid shit like that. Um, and this was supposed to tie to that because here's a woman it who was got Stanford. sexually... It was Stanford, okay. Um, here's a woman who got sexually assaulted in college and it completely derailed her life. And it, well, it really derailed the lives of, of two women. Um, in this film, uh, both uh, Nina, I can't remember her last name, and Carrie Mulligan's character. And the problem is, I don't think the film really addresses that part of it. It talks very briefly 
in certain scenes about, you know, who Nina was and what Nina could have accomplished or even what Carrie Mulligan could have accomplished. But I think that that comparison and the idea of the alt, you know, the, the other side of the promising young man bit that the judge laid down, which again is offensive at the highest level. That is such a good idea. That is such an interesting idea. And it's timely and it's fitting and it will paint the exact picture of why saying the promising young man thing is so fucked up. And Mm -hmm. it just doesn't do it. It just ignores it. Again, fantastic idea, fantastic premise, poor execution. Yeah. um, Obviously, we're going to have a more full discussion on the nomination categories um, so that we can, you know, get a full picture of who's in which group and and, and fully compare against each other. Um, So we'll save most of this until until then. uh, But I I have to say this isn't for me a strong contender in any of the phases that it's it's, it's in. This is weird. Um, we, we talked a lot about the movie. If you have anything more to say, Corwin, lay it on me. But otherwise, um, I'm here for your star rating. Um, uh, I'll give it like a two. I mean, there are parts that are good. There's like, it's still by all means a watchable movie. I just, again, expectations really made it suffer. Not even expectations, just promise. It's a promising young film. I'm I'm gonna give this a one and a half. I I'll never recommend this to anybody. I will never go back and watch this a second time. Um, it is it is it is just not well done. It is just not well done, and it is such a shame because I was excited for this one. I was really excited for this one. Um, and it is a, uh, it's it's just not good. So, all right. Um, let's move on to the next one, I guess. So that brings us to. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is a 2020 film. It is directed by George C. Wolfe. The screenplay is by Ruben Santiago Hudson. Although this is based on an August Wilson play, famous playwright August Wilson. He had another film that was made into an Oscar-nominated picture recently, uh, Fences, in case anyone has seen Fences. Mm. Uh, This film stars Viola Davis, Chadwick Boseman, and Glenn Herman. Um this film do I have I do not have an estimated budget, do I? Somewhere between twenty and twenty two and a half million dollars. I don't have a box office, which makes sense. This is a Netflix film. They will never tell you the box office. They don't want you to know. Um The tagline is everything comes out in the blues. Sure. Okay. Um yeah, why not? Uh, this film, we're talking about it. It's an Oscar nominee. It is nominated for five Oscars, one posthumously for Chadwick Boseman for best supporting for our best actor in a leading role, uh, one for best performance by an act- actress in a leading role for Viola Davis, best achievement in production design for Mark Ricker, Karen O'Hara, and Diana Stoughton, uh, best achievement in makeup and hairstyling for Sergio Lopez Rivera, Mia Neal, and Jamika Wilson. And Best Achievement in Costume Design for Anne Roth. This film is about, during a recording session, tensions rise between Ma Rainey, her ambitious horn player, and the white management determined to control the uncontrollable mother of the blues. Uh, Corwin took the beginning of the last film. I will take this one. Um, 
This is a very interesting film. This is a film that is based on a play. Or the screenplay, I guess I should say, is based on a play. Uh, Ma Rainey being a, a real woman. Um, this particular recording session probably not happening, necessarily. Uh, at least I couldn't find anything on, um, what was it, Levy? What was it, Levy? Oh, just, just Levy. Okay. I think they said Levy Wilson or some, something like that. Um, couldn't find anything on him, um, but that just doesn't mean anything. Uh, and it, it, it feels very much so like a play at certain points. I think Chadwick Boseman's big monologue especially. But I did find this to be a very compelling adaptation. I think the acting is phenomenal. Um, I thought... I mean, it's a film that bases itself a lot around music, which is always going to be a winner for me. I'm so easy to win over in that respect. Um, and I said that to myself watching it. Like, this is... Josh is going to like this just because of the premise and the, the, the topic. Oh, absolutely. Um, and this is a, a very interesting point in the music industry. This is a very interesting point in race in the United States. This is a very interesting point um, in music as a whole. And the way that those things interact with each other in this film, I think, is, is utterly captivating for me. I will also, at the same time, fully admit that I, I can certainly see where this might lose some attention spans. Um, this hits a lot of notes that Josh likes, but I also understand how this might not be everybody's cup of tea. But I think that the way that this film navigates itself and moves through its different phases and its different conversations and the different points that it tries to make that it will often you know, jump back and forth to based on how the uh, film is playing out... I think kept it very much so engaging. I was a fan. I was sad because of Chadwick Boseman. Um, mm. I enjoyed this. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts, Mr. Heller. You know, I was definitely one of those guys who had their attentions lost during this. Um, that being said, I, I fully believe that this is still a good film. I, I enjoyed um, both of the, the leading roles in this. I thought both did excellent jobs. Um, and the storyline, the narrative, you know, everything that is discussed is, is well done. It, you know, it's opposite of a, a promising young woman where it had similar amounts of promise with both, um, the topic that was, you know, discussed the topic that was focused on this just did a significantly better job of reaching its potential and, and fulfilling that. And at the end of the day, it was a very compelling story and, and one that is very easily uh, relatable in this day and age uh, and how we see these kinds of things happening in our, our world around us today and, and how these kind of things are just built into the foundation of our, our society and the institutions. It's a, it's a struggle that we can all identify and you know, you are very easily persuaded to, you know, be compelled by Ma Rainey's story, by what she's trying to accomplish, everything she's trying to do, both for herself, her people, her goals, you know, doing things in a way where she knows everyone there is out to get her and absolutely no one is going to give her, you know, a fair pitch, uh, a fair a fair situation and she's got to take what is hers. And, um, in that regard, I, I do enjoy the movie. Uh, I will say the, the pacing does tend itself to, if you are not captivated the way Josh was, or if this is not a, 
uh, a film that really drags you, pulls you in, it can uh, it can lose you. Yeah, and I, and I, you know, I will acknowledge that it's a very it's a very play thing to have happen. You know, um, plays are longer and dialogue filled, and it can be tough at times translating that into onto the screen and what is typically a little bit of a shorter format or a shorter um, runtime, and you know, uh, having the expectations of the dynamics of film as opposed to the um, lesser expected dynamics of play, because you know you can't change sets very fast. Um, anyway. Uh, this is a really interesting time in American music history, and so much of it is built on race. The idea being that in the early 20s and the, the late teens, uh, when recording technology got a little bit better and they were able to record just more music, more stuff, really, um, one of... A couple things ended up happening. One of the first things that happened was the um, there's a famous uh, father-son duo, the Lomaxes. This isn't mentioned in the film, but this is just a little bit of music history. Traveled around after recording technology became better and started recording a lot of Americana and blues music, which led them to a lot of towns that were heavily black populated because a lot of those sounds uh, music got passed down orally um, and weren't you know written anywhere to be learned elsewhere, and so they. You know, found that music, those musicians who knew those songs, and got them to record it. And what ended up happening is those records got huge, wildly successful. And that led to a really, really large and rapid expansion in black music getting recorded because it wasn't available elsewhere. You know, jazz at the same time, jazz ended up becoming very big and also ended up becoming finding an audience. Um, first in black communities and then later on elsewhere within white communities, and also ended up becoming a massive. Um, a commercial success. But you often see from the beginning of music history to today, the musicians who generated all the money and wrote the music not getting their share of respect monetarily or otherwise. And that's part of what Ma Rainey is here fighting for. And that's part of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? tragedy of Levy Green is that um, throughout the film, he wants his recognition on a talent level and is getting um, foisted in part by his own hubris, as most tragic figures will display. And then at the end of the film, by the machine that is the music industry. Um, and obvious, the race angles in it, or the race conversations in it, I should say, um, because we have hear blues music, which is by and large a, a black music that eventually found its way into uh, white guitars. Um, and also the way that these black musicians are meant to or should interact with the white management. And that is highlighted in one very emotional monologue with Chadwick Mosman in particular, where he talks about his past. Um, what did you think about kind of like that side of it, of how you're supposed to talk to Whitey here presented in this movie? Again, I think it's something that kind of hits home because of the, the reality of the situation being this is, this is how it goes. You know, this is something where I'm sure both of us watching this kind of sat and said to ourselves, like, hey, I don't blame him for, for 
talking to him in that way because, you know, like Ma Rainey, it's just another way of making sure you're in a position to get what you need to get. You know, otherwise you're not getting that certainty that, you know, his music's going to get picked up, that, you know, she's going to get paid in full, this, that, nine other things. It's, you got to, you got to do what you got to do, especially in this situation where, nothing's promised to them and no one's out there going to help them out in a way that um, is going to ensure that they get what they are deserved. So I get why they would be upset with him uh, for doing such a thing because it is kind of, uh, it's hard to say, but it is kind of, you know, brown nosing and it's always something that's looked down upon, but I, I cannot blame him for, for doing what he had to do. Yeah, I mean, it's a very modern conversation because it it's a conversation that literally hasn't changed in the last hundred years. Um, and then some, which which is, here's, you know, they said it in the movie, he, he came into the room and called you a boy and you're still going to call him sir. And mm-hmm. it is a horrible, horrible dynamic that is also real. And here's a guy, Levy Green, who wants to become a world-famous trumpeteer and he's going to have to fucking deal with it because what the hell else is he gonna do and he knows and in his mind i'm using this guy to advance my career Mm -hmm. but in reality it's still you know saying sir to a guy who's gonna call you boy and fuck is that must be just horrible absolutely and on the other end of it you get ma rainey who's putting her foot down and talking however she wants to talk knowing damn well that she has every ability to do it because she's selling the records. Mm -hmm. She's in a position where she has the leverage. She has the control over the situation. And at no point during this, did you see anything other than her ensuring that she maintains that leverage until she gets every last dime that belongs to her. Right. And you know, it's it's understanding where you fit into this picture and it's, you know, that power dynamic is unfortunate but real, but it also is, I, I, you know, it's there to show that you can run the show, but you've got to have that sway. And ultimately, that, that kind of is what does Levy Green in as, he's, as he puts his ambitions too far out in front of him um, and, you know, loses his job and ends up in a fit of rage killing the piano player. Um, what did you yeah. think about that, that overall arc? for the Chadwick Boseman's character? Um, man, that's tough. Cause on one hand, it's like, I, I get it. I get that that snap, the pressure involved, everything that leads to that. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, you guys are there trying to stick it together and, and, and make, make your careers, make your, make yourself. And it's tough. Like I, I still find myself, you know, compelled to hey this is this sucks like this is really bad um i hate that you know he's in a position but at the same time there was a lot that he did to uh bring it upon himself yeah i mean you know there there, there's a couple different aspects of it which is one you know ma rainey is the star of the show she doesn't want to be upstaged but she literally gets the spotlight stolen from her by Levy Green early on in the film. Um, and, you know, she wants to make sure that she's, she's at the front of the ticket, which 
mm-hmm. is well within her right. Uh, at the same time, it's a challenge for Levy Green because he's not getting the opportunity that he thinks he deserves and 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 wants. And that's also a difficult thing to absorb, especially in a world where it is very, very cheap to make a record. And they're mm-hmm. just not letting him do it. And that's literally it. Because if Levy Green was able to just put out a record, then this none of this none of these things would be problems. He wouldn't have to worry about upstaging Ma Rainey in an attempt to make a name for himself, and he wouldn't have to uh, you know, kowtow to to the white man in order to, you know, play nice enough to get a, an opportunity. He'd be able to do it. Because again, making a record, especially at this point in time, where they were doing um full bands in a booth instead of individual pieces then mixed together. I mean, my God, it, 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 you, you do it in a day, you know? Mm-hmm. Less. It doesn't take much time at all. They were going to get Ma Rainey done in one take. Now, that's a little bit of, the, of early music industry black exploitation, which is the uh, concept often seen in film, which is poorly made films starring all black casts telling black stories will still do really well because black people want to see that, and so they just didn't put any money behind it. Dynamite. Love Black Dynamite. Um, I was hoping you'd be finished uh, with your statement before I came in <laughs> instead of interrupting you, but... <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. Um, but the same idea also went for music, which is black people want to hear black music, so we'll just sloppily record some black music, not put much thought or effort behind it, and they'll buy the record anyway because why wouldn't they? Um, mm-hmm. so that's briefly shown in the film as well. But anyway, um, they don't even, you know, they don't even give Levy Green that opportunity. And, it, you know, I can only, you can only imagine how difficult of a thing that, that must be, um, especially with the conditions of touring that they must be going through in 1927. Um, and, you know, I think it also has a little bit of, a, you know, seeing the heat, you can see the heat in this movie. You can mm-hmm. tell this is a hot day. And the and, and the tension that comes from it is cuttable with a knife. Yeah, Palpable. That's really the word there. I was looking for. Um I mean the, the the sweat on Viola Davis's face. My God. Mm-hmm. Actually, speaking of Viola Davis, I think first off, she's flawless in everything. Uh, but I really What? I was just thinking out loud. I wouldn't necessarily, I can't like off the top of my head say that she's flawless in everything, but at the same time, I can't disagree. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Just... No, all good. Um, but anyway, what she's doing in this film, I think is actually really, really hard. Um, because not only does she have to have all of the largesse of this very big character, she's also doing it behind a comical amount of makeup, mm-hmm. hair, and wardrobe. And I think it'd be very easy for this type of performance to get lost behind the makeup and the costume design and, and you know, be very much so like acting through a fake bosom. <laughs> but instead, it feels all the, all the, wildness of how much done up she is ends up settling into the character very well as Viola Davis is able to be very big but also have quieter moments where she's just talking with um what was his name um Cutler where she's talking with Cutler 
uh, you know, about just, you know, the record industry or whatever. And being able to be the sweet touching woman who's, who's going to help her nephew get through this, like one line of dialogue versus being the angry person who's going to fight with the manager. It ended up actually grounding the performance really nicely to the point where she stuck out because she had a big personality as she should, but wasn't like looking at the character of Yu-Gi-Oh surrounded by a bunch of other characters and going like, well, I know who the main character of the show is. It's the guy with the gigantic fucking hair, you know, <laughs> it's not, it's not quite so comical. Um, you know, it fit, which I think was hard. Right. No, I, I can totally understand that. And by all means, I'm right there with you where her makeup, her her whole image throughout this movie was, it, it was there. And it was uh, understandably um, overpowering. I don't want to say overpowering because it wasn't. What did you think of, of Chadwick Boseman? It's, it's, a, it's a very energetic bouncy performance from him which i think is uh different from a lot of the roles i think we tend to see from 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 chadwick boseman who's a little bit more understated usually yeah it definitely felt different it it didn't feel like the same old chadwick boseman that we've grown accustomed to uh at the same time i do think he's shown enough with it and showed that emotion showed that energy showed enough to to win him the oscar especially in the manner that it will be under um with it being a, a posthumous award ceremony for him um i think coming into this it was gonna be difficult for it was basically his to lose and basically unless he gave out a a weak performance outright it, it was going to be his and uh, I definitely think it was it was plenty enough to uh to win him the award. Absolutely. Um this is this was a good performance because it's Chadwick Bozeman and that's all he does. Um it, it you know, this is this is who he is. Um but this is also again, first off, this is a different look than we typically get from him, so that's cool. And there's also, you know, a lot going on in this character, and Chadwick Boseman is a guy who always picks characters that move forward a conversation in a certain type of way, and I think that the character of Levy Green does that very well. And I think mm-hmm. Chadwick Boseman brings the weight to Levy Green to be able to make the character say all the things that that character needs to say. I think if you have someone without the, the depth of Chadwick Boseman this character might get lost in the hyperness of the character. I think you might lose something in how, in just how youthful and energetic Levy Green comes across. But with the weight of Chadwick Boseman and his ability to give the heavier moments their heft and to get, bring you know a lot of sincerity with who he is and how he does his performances, I think that keeps Levy Green from being too high pitch of a character and ends up rounding him out really well in a way that, again, I really only think a guy like Chadwick, and in this instance, literally Chadwick Boseman could have done. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, again, I think just speaks so highly to these two performances. I mean, obviously, this is is based on a stage play, which needs performances to be precise and, and fitting in order for it to work. Otherwise, there's nothing else to look at. You know, it's, it's, that's it. Um, 
So obviously it inherently requires that. And I think these two actors just did such a phenomenal job. Um, yeah, I mean, just great work. I absolutely agree. Absolutely. It's completely um, opposite of One Night in Miami for me. In what regard? The, 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 the stage play adaptation. Okay. Yeah, uh, I definitely think it was much better executed, just a better film all around. Um, do you do you have uh? I don't really have too much here written down. Do you have anything else on your end before we go into final ratings and reviews? No. All right. Um. So this was this. I I took this one at the top, so I'll take it here. Um. I really like this. It's not going to be for everybody because I think wrapping your head around where and when this takes place can be a challenge, and it is a little bit industry specific in some of the nuances of it. And anytime there is some degree of that level of specificity, it might be just a little bit harder on the attention span. I, I was wrapped up by this. I really like this. I'm going to give this, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a three and a half. I don't know why fully it's not higher. That's the first number that stuck out to me. Um, I think this is a really good movie. I don't think this is a great movie, but I think this is a really good movie, and I think the acting performances do this film wonders. I also think the cinematography of this film was was, was lovely also, um, but that's to the side. Um, that didn't really I, blow me away, but I I did think it was fitting for, for what we were watching. Right, definitely definitely not saying it should have gotten an Oscar nomination, but I, I did enjoy it. I thought it was, I thought it was very well done. Um mm-hmm. Actually, wait, did I say, did this get a, no, what did, uh, what did this get nominated for? Uh, no, it didn't. Okay, good. Well, not good, but like, all right, I wasn't wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to go with a three and a half on this. I would recommend this. I would not strongly recommend it, because again, it just depends on who you are. Um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Um, so I'm going to give it a three and a half. Uh, I'm going to give it a three for a lot of the same reasons. Uh, it's a recommend, not a strong recommend. It definitely is going to come down to, uh, the individual person and what their style choices. Um, but, uh, good film, not great. All right. Um, so with that being said, here's how we're going to run it for these, uh, for these, this last couple, uh, weeks we got here. So we have two count them two movies left to get through before um our oscars conversation and that is the father and minari so those are going to be the two movies that we're talking about next next tuesday that's uh the father which will which is available um on netflix i believe did i make that up oh shit did i make that up i thought it was on netflix is it not oh actually i guess it's not well, so fuck me. Um, go fucking find it. <laughs> the father. Um, and then Minari, I don't think he's anywhere either. Yeah. So, no, it's not. Oh uh, yeah, I guess the fa- I don't know why I thought it was on Nef. Uh, I think I'm thinking of um, the two popes. That's what I'm thinking of. Mm. Um. So now oh, Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, you work so much as an old man. Um. So anyway, so next Tuesday's m- movies are going to be the father and Minari. That will complete our Oscar category viewings, right? Again, we have a set number of categories we're talking about that we feel as though we have something to say. Now, the actual Oscars will be taking place the Sunday after that. We would typically record 
um, on Sundays. So we're going to probably record a little bit late, but it'll be coming out normal time. So the Oscars will be taking place Sunday the 25th. Our episode on the 27th, Tuesday the 27th, we'll be talking about the results. So in order to get our conversation on the nominees before the results, we'll be releasing a mini episode probably Thursday or Friday. So you get two episodes of Juicing the Big Screen next week. Um, So we'll have a mini episode where we go through all the categories that we had spent the past two or three months talking about or uh, viewing the films for making some predictions so we can, you know, have a little skin in the game here. And then um, in Tuesday's episode, we'll be talking about the actual results. And then after Tuesday, the 27th episode, our first episode in May, May 4th, we'll get back into doing um, just our random picks of movies that we just wanted to watch. So it'll be normal programming after that. Um, Can't wait to get some 1950s silent black and white films back in the rotation. It's going to be a blast. I can't wait. All right, Corin, anything else before we go? Uh, No, I'm all set. All right, well, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. We don't post from there, so you can follow Corwin at Corwin Heller. You can follow me at Joshua D. Tracy. If you want to send us an email with complaints, movies you want us to watch, shit like that, you can do so at juicingthebigscreen at gmail.com. And um, until next Tuesday, y'all have a good one. Bye.